following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning, entitled The Scales of God, our continuation of a sermon series entitled Old Words, New Life, Transformative Teachings from the Old Testament. The Bible has had an extraordinary influence on our world, often well beyond what many people realize. People even use phrases that come from the Bible, often without knowing the story from which the phrase originated. This is certainly the case whenever people use the, the idiom, the handwriting on the wall. That idiom comes, of course, from the story of Daniel, which we heard this morning. The story features a king whose name in biblical Hebrew or the original Aramaic is Belshazzar. That can be rendered into English very commonly as Belshazzar, the pronunciation I, I used in the uh, scripture, uh, but actually the, 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 the other pronunciation, which is equally acceptable, is Belshazzar, and that's the one I'll be going with in the sermon, uh, since it's actually closer to the sound of the, uh, the, the original name. The story of Belshazzar, like many Old Testament stories, has a lasting message for us. Let's be for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Belshazzar was the ruler of the empire of Babylon. He came to power through dastardly means, which I won't get into here. Belshazzar's predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had conquered the land of Judah some decades before and had seized all the valuable items from the temple there before destroying the temple itself in 587 BC. Since the destruction of Jerusalem, the Babylonians had kept all those temple items in storage. One day, as we heard in the scripture reading this morning, Belshazzar threw a feast in grand style in his palace to which he invited a thousand of his highest functionaries plus his many wives and concubines. It was a big party. During the feast, Belshazzar guzzled a good bit of wine and once he became tipsy, he decided it would be great fun to bring the vessels from the temple to the feast so that people could guzzle wine from them. It was as if someone today were to throw a bash and decide to get the communion ware from the sanctuary in order to use for the party. Belshazzar likely did this not only out of a drunken notion to do something crazy, but as a way of demeaning the faith of the people of Israel. That faith had been demonstrated most strongly in the land of Babylon in the recent years by Daniel, who had been very active in the years prior to Belshazzar's reign. Daniel had been among the exiles who were taken from Jerusalem when the Babylonians conquered the city. The exiles were forcibly resettled in Babylon, much as some Ukrainians today, including Ukrainian children, have been forcibly resettled in Russia. Daniel was a boy at the time when he was taken, and the Babylonians tried to groom him to be a part of their government. They even changed his name to Belteshazzar, which means 
Bel protects. Bel was the title of the highest of the Babylonian gods. The Babylonians were trying to make Daniel forget his identity, much as Russia today is trying to get Ukrainians to forget their identity. Most of all, the Babylonians were trying to get Daniel to forget his faith. Daniel went through the whole Babylonian training program, but through it all, he held firmly to his identity and his faith. He refused to buy into Babylonian values, and he steadfastly worshiped God. He ultimately earned the Babylonians' respect, but by the time of Belshazzar, Daniel had been largely forgotten, at least by the king, until this fateful day at the big party. Belshazzar and his guests were guzzling wine out of the temple goblets, and they commenced to praise the Babylonian gods, obviously making a mockery of the god who had once been honored at the temple in Jerusalem. Suddenly, there appeared a most disturbing image. A disembodied hand was writing letters on the wall. I chose to preach on this passage today because we are in the week heading towards Halloween, and this seemed to fit right in. Daniel chapter 5 describes the king's reaction in a fashion reminiscent of old cartoons that would often depict people who are scared to death. One, our passage says that the king's face turned pale, his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Keep in mind that stories like this in the Bible were designed for oral interpretation. Most people did not read these stories, they heard them. This story is written so that the reader could present it in an engaging and entertaining way. The great king here appears ludicrous. But the content of the story is quite serious. What happened at the feast of Belshazzar was unsettling for anyone. The hand wrote letters on the wall in the language of Aramaic, which was in broad use in Babylon at this time. In the language of Aramaic, only the consonants were written. The reader was supposed to know what vowels to supply for each word, depending on the context. But the consonants that the hand was writing on the wall were in such combinations that there was more than one possible set of vowels that could go with each word, and thus more than one possible set of words that were indicated by the writing. Moreover, biblical commentators think that the consonants were transposed in some way so as to make reading them properly a real trick. The most famous painting of this biblical story is by Rembrandt. It portrays well the frightened reaction of Belshazzar. In the painting, the letters on the wall are clear, but they do not seem to make any sense, even if you know how to read Aramaic. Aramaic, like Hebrew, is read from right to left. In the painting, the letters only make sense if you read them from top to bottom, vertically. In this fashion, Rembrandt was trying to visualize the idea that the letters were scrambled in some fashion. In the story, Belshazzar calls his interpreters, but when they look at the writing, they cannot figure out how to read it. 
and they have no idea what it signifies. The queen spoke up. She was obviously more on the ball than Belshazzar. It is one of many cases in the Old Testament where the story unfolds in a very patriarchal setting where men are trying to call the shots, but a woman proves to be the more decisive character. In such fashion, God's word continually undermines human preconceptions. The queen reminded Belshazzar that there was a man in the kingdom who in years past had earned a reputation for extraordinary insight, and she suggested that he should summon Daniel. Belshazzar did so. Daniel arrived at the feast and observed the handwriting on the wall. By divine inspiration, Daniel was able to read the words and discern their meaning. The first word was mene, which means numbered. God had numbered the days of Belshazzar and his number was up. The second word was tekel, which means weighed. God had weighed Belshazzar in the balance and he was found wanting. The third word was parson, which in another verse comes out paris, simply the singular form of the word. It means divided. Belshazzar's kingdom would be divided among the Medes and the Persians. Significantly, all three words, mene, tekel, and parson, when read with different vowels, also indicated weights of measure, like ton, pound, ounce, which further carried forth the image of Belshazzar being weighed in the balance of God. Here it is quite striking that the message on the wall would both figuratively and literally say that Belshazzar had been weighed on the scales and that he had been found lacking. Belshazzar was at the top of the most powerful empire in the world at the time. He had absolute power, incredible wealth, and he commanded the utmost respect of all of his subjects. This guy, by any commonly accepted measure in the world, was a heavyweight. But the story makes plain that God has a different set of scales from what are commonly in use in the world. On God's scales, everything that made Belshazzar a heavyweight in the world's eyes was of little substance. God measured the goodness and the faithfulness of Belshazzar and God declared Belshazzar a lightweight. The story at this point would move us to ask the question as to what sort of scales are in use in our own lives. In many ways, the contemporary world and its values still very much uses the scales of Belshazzar. Our society places great value, great weight on wealth, power, status, external beauty, and fame but the scales of God are different. When God looks at people, God weighs character and compassion, goodness and commitment to the Lord. We see God's scales reflected especially in Jesus, in whom what is valued is quite different from what engaged the heart of Belshazzar. The English Methodist preacher William Sangster 
once related a story about a wealthy woman on the Titanic who, as she perceived what was happening with the ship, ran to her stateroom on the way to the lifeboats. She had just enough time to quickly grab whatever she could carry in her hands. What would she take? She had jewelry of all sorts. She had her favorite clothing. What she took were three oranges. Now, survival was of the utmost. Commenting on that incident, Sangster said, an hour before, it would have seemed incredible to that woman that she would prefer a crate of oranges to one small diamond. But death boarded the Titanic, and with one blast of its awful breath, all values were transformed. Precious things became worthless. Worthless things became precious. The specter of death and destruction does have a way of changing the scales that we use. There's an interesting phenomenon in that regard that is apparent at every funeral. As long as a person is living, the surrounding community will often view that person according to the scales of Belshazzar. People will note how big a house the person lives in, what kind of car or clothing the person has, what sort of status the person has. But at the person's funeral, none of that matters at all. Then the focus is entirely on what kind of care the person showed others, what good the person did in the world, what kind of faith the person had. The reality of death moves us to see life according to the scales of God. What is important, of course, for each of us is that we actually start living according to God's values long before we arrive at the point of death. And this, of course, is what we are about in the church. Like Daniel, we may be under constant pressure to just conform to the values of the society around us. But as believers, we are called to be different. Most people in our society are not actively involved in a church. Like Belshazzar, they're drawn to be devoted instead to the various idols of our time. Today's false gods, of course, are not Bel. The false gods of our time are money, power, status, and fame. We as believers are called instead to fix our devotion above all upon the Lord. By joining in worship, we are publicly taking a distinctive stand. With Daniel, we are steadfastly proclaiming faith. Many people in our society do little in terms of charity other than token donations. Like Belshazzar, people are inclined to spend all their money on parties and things for themselves. We as believers are called to model something very different, which we're lifting up, especially today on this Consecration Sunday. Whenever we make a pledge, whenever we give of our resources and our time, we are choosing to do something with our resources very different from what most folks do. And we're able to share through the church and making a meaningful impact on the world around us. Church members, thus, 
vastly outpace unchurched folks when it comes to charitable giving in our society today. Many people in our society live according to patterns of prejudice, not fully accepting this group or that, just as Belshazzar despised the Hebrew people whose objects he was disgracing. We in this church strive instead to model an openness toward all, following Old Testament teachings to welcome the stranger and the foreigner, to love one's neighbor, following the example of Jesus who reached out and embraced others that others were despising. Like Daniel, we are called to stand in the values of God. At the end of the scripture story, we're told that Belshazzar was killed as Babylon was suddenly overthrown by the Persians, an event corroborated by ancient historians. At the death of Belshazzar, virtually everything that he valued, his money, his power, his empire itself, went up in smoke. And there was nothing left of Belshazzar except this story about what an idiot the guy was. During a person's life, a fellow can pursue all sorts of vanities and can fool himself about how much he counts in the world, but at death, one's life is weighed in the balance of God. For those who measure life using the scales of Belshazzar, the handwriting is already on the wall. We are invited, like Daniel, to put our trust in God and to focus our life on what is of true and lasting worth. Of course, when we reflect about the image in the book of Daniel of one's life being weighed in the balance of God, we may have reason for concern because our lives are imperfect, our lives are flawed. But our situation is dramatically changed when we accept the saving grace of Jesus Christ who offers his perfect life on our behalf. Through Christ, the scales are massively tipped in our favor. As we live in faith, we have the assurance of our acceptance with God and our everlasting destiny. Earlier in the book of Daniel, Daniel offered this word of praise to God. Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are God's. God deposes kings and sets up rulers. God reveals deep things. To you, O God, I give thanks and praise. May we join with Daniel in lifting our hearts and our lives to the Lord. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give thanks that just as you call Daniel, you call us to live in faith to find our true life and destiny in you. We thank you that even though we sometimes stumble and stray in responding to that call, nevertheless, through your son, Jesus Christ, you pour out your mercy upon us. You work in us with your forgiveness. You lift us up afresh. Inspire us, O Lord, this morning to respond to you in faith, to indeed commit our lives to you, to join in how your spirit would work through us that we may be a part of your purposes in our time. Lead us, Lord, with your wisdom, that we might truly guide our lives by the values of your kingdom, 
that we might share in the fullness of life that you intend for us here, that we might be a part of your outreach to the world, and that we might know ourselves to be on a journey toward your eternal kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that you draw us into the life of your church. We do reach out to persons in our fellowship who are in times of particular need. We pray, especially this morning, for Morgan Kloss, Kathy Smith, and Tom McGrew. We also remember those who are mourning, and we would lift up especially today the family and friends of Lois Enloe. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of your spirit to guide us through every time of challenge. Lead us as we look to you in faith. We thank you for how we can reach out into the larger world, a world so full of trouble. We are thankful for the connection we have with other congregations and left of this morning, our fellow United Methodists at the Eastern United Methodist Church. And pray you would guide us, O oh God, as, as we seek to be a part of your compassionate outreach in our time. We thank you that we can make a difference in places like Grundy County, Tennessee. And we thank you that through the worldwide church, we can be a part of your work in lands across the world. Lead us, Lord, this morning, as, like Daniel, we would stand firm in faith as we would lift our spirits to you and as we share and how your spirit would be at work through us, leading us to grow as your people, leading us to be a part of your outreach of love to all. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.